So we've got to all know that we're all doing the best we can with the tools that we have. And the more we can become this inspiration, the more we can shine our light as brightly as possible on the world, the more it will be inviting and welcoming for other people to then also open their hearts more and open their minds. Therapy can be life-changing and wonderful. And it can also be, frankly, not all that helpful. As a therapist for over 12 years who now runs a whole team of amazing clinicians, I am far from anti-therapy. But I also became a certified coach because I didn't want to be limited in the kind of work I can do and who I can support. I'm Valerie Martin, aka Bad Bitch Therapist, and in this podcast, we're going to talk about the shit your therapist may not tell you, because real talk, not all therapists are good at their jobs, but also a lot of therapy training is rigid and outdated, and your therapist might not work in a way that actually challenges you. Without compassionate challenging, your growth will be limited. So if you're with me, let's bust out of the traditional psychotherapy box and talk about wellness and high performance in ways that will make an even bigger impact in your life. Let's fucking go. Hey y'all, welcome back to Shit Your Therapist Won't Tell You. Like, go vegan, because as a therapist, listen, it ain't my job, it ain't my business to tell anyone how to eat. And while I get that as a coach, technically it's not either. But hey, it's my podcast and I get to tell you (laughs) what I think. But in all seriousness, I've not talked much about veganism or animal advocacy in this space yet since it has been this podcast and since I've been doing Bad Bitch Therapist. In the past, I actually had a whole vegan website and vegan podcast. And for various reasons, I just realized that was not a thing that I wanted to, that was not the angle that I wanted to take professionally in that sort of way. I do absolutely love when vegans and animal activists find me and want to work with me, like love it. And it's just not a thing that I wanted to do as a whole separate brand and activity. But it's something that I always feel a little nervous bringing into new spaces, like coming out of the sort of vegan closet. It's a topic that a lot of people I don't know, makes people uncomfortable, makes them feel like maybe I'm judging them, makes them feel uncomfortable eating around me, like all these things that can happen. And so I, while in my life, I'm not shy about it. I don't hide it. Obviously, anytime someone eats with me, they're probably going to know. But I also am out there like trying to preach the good word. I think as I share about in this podcast conversation, the vegangelizing, sharing all of the really good shit about being vegan and and why. Why be vegan? It's not just speaking of animals. My little elderly baby here is screaming at me, buddy, we're recording a pod right now. He says, well, I mean, I heard it was about animals and I wanted to come in, okay? So anyway, It's just, it's something that I tread into new territories with, with a little nervousness, as you'll hear me talk about with Ella, our guest today, but I couldn't have done it with a better guest. And so I'm so excited for y'all to hear this conversation. And believe me, even if you're very much not vegan or the topic generally makes you uncomfortable, I strongly encourage you to listen to this one. Ella is just an incredible human. I'm like legit trying hard not to fangirl because (laughs) that's how great she is. So I'll read you her bio in a minute. But before that, we got to talk about what I'm watching, reading, and loving. 
And I wanted to angle this one specifically towards some of my favorite vegan stuff or animal related stuff. So watching The Game Changers is a fantastic documentary from 2019. There's over a dozen executive producers of this film, including James Cameron, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Pamela Anderson, Jackie Chan, like it's it's an incredible film and talk about like vegangelizing like it's really looking at how are people in various you know sports and other high performance things in life how does eating a plant-based diet help them how has that helped them be even higher performing in what they do and feel better and it even gets into some sexual stuff which is kind of cool too but definitely check out the game changers it's on netflix reading The Joyful Vegan by Colleen Patrick Gaudreau. I call her my vegan fairy godmother, even though I've never actually spoken with her directly. One day, maybe we'll bring her on the pod too. And she is on an episode, probably has done at least one on Ella's podcast, which is called Rise and Thrive. And it's just a phenomenal book for anyone who's considering veganism, who's veg curious, who loves animals. The Joyful Vegan is a really good thing, especially if you're like, oh, I like the idea of it, but it feels like it would be so hard. Check out the Joyful Vegan book. And and Colleen Patrick Gaudreau has amazing podcasts and just all kinds of things. So check her out online too. And loving Menagerie Cosmetics. So, I mean, there are tons of cruelty-free brands that I could have put here that I already use and love. So in full disclosure, I have not yet actually tried these cosmetics, but the videos and pictures that I've seen are phenomenal. And I put them on my Christmas wish list. So as I'm recording this in December, I'm like, I cannot wait to try these. By the time you're listening to this, I'm sure it'll be all over my face. I mean, it's mostly eyes and lips, but why I put it here is because it's wildlife inspired. So like the names of the different eyeshadow palettes and and lip lipsticks are all named after animals and they are stunning like the packaging the colors like it is very much brights and iridescent shimmer like i can't freaking wait to try these things they are handmade in post falls idaho they are cruelty free of course high quality wildlife inspired cosmetics you can find them at menageriecosmetics.com and on instagram at the same okay so before we get into ella's bio i did want to just mention that well she's a trainer short version that she has a 22 reboot challenge that is like a total reset mind body spirit and it is a 22 day plus there's like a few prep days program i am currently previewing the program because again as i'm recording this i actually have my surgery tomorrow so i will be out of commission from working out for a while but i'm previewing it now because i want to be able to share with you guys as I'm going through it. And I plan on doing that once I'm back into working out probably early spring or even like mm, February-ish. But I I can't wait to do it. Already what I'm seeing in this program is incredible. And again, it's totally, even if you're just veg curious, this could be a great program for you to like really come into this new year with extremely strong mind, body, spirit. So that's 22 Reboot Challenge. I will put a link in my bio to that. And I just could not be more excited to affiliate for that program to spread the word. Okay, so let me tell you about Ella, our guest. Ella Majors MSW is on a mission to transform the health and wellness industry from the inside out. 
vegan since 1995. Ella founded Sexy Fit Vegan in 2013 to pave the way for veganism to enter the mainstream. Ella's desire to revolutionize our mindsets around eating and fitness is wholehearted and flows from a deeply personal place. Ella has led workshops across the globe and has been featured on some of the world's most popular platforms, including Shape, Bodybuilding.com, and Huffington Post. Her work as a podcast host, speaker, author, and coach gives people the tools they need to heal and thrive holistically and become empowered to, to move through the world with profound curiosity and fierce compassion for all living beings. She is on the board of Hogs and Kisses Farm Sanctuary and is based in Miami. You can find more about Ella at Ella Majors. That's E-L-L-A-M-A-G-E-R-S.com at Sexy Fit Vegan on Instagram and at Ella Majors. I just am blown away by this woman and so grateful that I got to have this conversation with her. So remember Ella's 22 reboot challenge that will be linked in the show notes. And also I just wanted to mention if you're hearing this, when you're hearing this, if you're listening, I should say early in the year, like when this is airing, I may still have spots open in my first Heartfire. I'm wearing wearing the hoodie today. Heartfire group cohort. So that will be starting in mid to late January. And it will be the only beta round. It will never be priced this low again. So if you are curious about taking your life to the next level, high performance coaching, upping your courage, your productivity, your clarity, your just general sense of influence and power, I would love to have you in. So check out badbitchtherapist.co and the specific link for Heartfire will be in the show notes. Feel free to send me a DM if you have questions and let's get into the conversation with Ella Majors. Ella, I am so excited to talk with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me, Valerie. I'm happy to be here. Yes. So I am like nervous slash really excited to have this conversation because over the years I've podcasted in different sort of formats and under different names. And at one point I even for a little while had a vegan related podcast but so far in this iteration of this podcast that's been going on for about a year i really haven't talked about it here and it's not like a thing that i try to hide like you know i post what i'm eating whatever i'll occasionally post animal stuff but as i've been sort of building this brand i haven't talked about it a lot and i you know really want to be fully integrated in all that I do. So first of all, I'm just like naming that sort of nervousness. And I don't know with having been vegan for so long, if you ever experience that anymore, but like talking about this thing that you know can be divisive or off-putting in places that you haven't really yet, if there's any any words of, of wisdom <laughs> that you would share on that. Well, I'm so glad you're bringing that up. And for me, no, because it's, you know, this is, been me for basically my whole life. Mm -hmm. And what I've found is that the more I can just radiate my joyful, loving, compassionate self and stand very strong and firm, mm -hmm. but also very loving and compassionate to everybody. And that includes animals. It also includes non-vegans. Yeah. And I feel like when I come at it from that place, that people are very open and receptive. And and I, I think the hesitation is very fair because there is 
there's a lot of people out there that are off-putting and that don't necessarily follow through with this idea of compassion for all. It's a lot easier. I mean, for for a lot of vegans, it's a lot easier to have compassion for animals than it is for our fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. And it's just very important that we extend that compassion to everybody. Yeah, I agree so much. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, that's going to be a more effective way of sort of spreading, spreading the good word, getting more people intrigued and curious. So I just, I love that. And so you've been vegan for, is it 28 years? Yes, I've cool. been vegan for 28 years, no meat for, gosh, I don't know, 35, 36 years now. Yeah. And I don't think I've heard yet your sort of origin story with that. So I'd love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So it all started when I was seven years old and I got in the, in the car after school one day. My mom picked me up as usual to take me to gymnastics practice. I've been into sports since I was five years old. And she asked me how my day was. And I said, you know, it was fine. But we learned about this guy named Daniel Boone. And for anybody listening who doesn't know who Daniel Boone is, he's one of our first American folk heroes. He wore a raccoon hat. He was a wilderness guy. He carried around a shotgun. And I said, Mom, this guy was supposed to be a hero, but he wasn't. He was so mean. He killed animals and he ate them. <laughs> and, my, and my mom kind of turned around and looked at me and she said, well, you know, Ella, he, he was just doing what he had to do. We are very lucky. We get to go to the grocery store. That's where we buy our meat these days. And it was at that moment that I connected the food on my plate with the animal that it was. And when I made that connection, it was this light bulb moment that I'll never forget. And I, I was horrified. And I said, well, I'm, I'm never doing that again. And that was it. <laughs> I never ate meat again. So that was my, my very start to into the world of animal advocacy because I started writing about it. I, I just, I couldn't comprehend why we were doing that because mm -hmm. then I just started eating the sides at dinner. And I survived. I thrived. I was an athlete. I was a gymnast. I did taekwondo. I did dance. I was so active. So I started writing about why, why are we doing this? We don't need to. I'm here. I am living proof. And by the time I was 15, I had really done all the research I needed to do, which I, I actually don't know exactly how I did that because this was back in, you know, I was, I was seven in 1987. So this was before really the internet. So I don't even know. I can't even remember how I did all the research, but I was in touch with PETA and vegan outreach and they were sending me boxes of materials and mm. I was out there doing my thing. And by the time I was 15, I really understood how all the animal agricultural industries were connected, the dairy and the eggs and uh, became totally vegan at the age of 15 and an animal rights activist uh, before I could drive a car. Yeah. Yeah. What an incredible story. And mm -hmm. You know, I think like that level of clarity and, you know, the willingness to educate yourself to to confront things that a lot of times like and, and I've certainly can imagine there have been points in my life where I've said this or felt it of like, don't tell me, don't tell me, I don't want to know. Right? right. We all hear that. And and so for me, it was much more of like a kind of over time, like, oh, this doesn't feel right, but everyone around me does it. So, you know, and then eventually when I was 30, seven years ago, it's like I, I sat down, I was like willing, I was like, show me, tell me all the things. And I had no idea I was going to end up 
being vegan out of that because I was that's how little I understood about the dairy and egg industries right so it was like I was just like maybe this will get me to stop eating animals and I was like oh this it did everything all at once and I've never looked back and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made so mm. yeah it's amazing that's yeah and I think you know being seven years old when I made that connection is right on that cusp of those first seven years of our lives this time of being a sponge, right? Mm -hmm. And we are just being programmed by society, by our parents, by our teachers, by our, the other kids. And it was right at that that point when I was still able to kind of think for myself. And and so it gets, I, I feel like it gets challenge, more challenging as we get older. Those programs become even more hardwired. So I really admire and respect people later in their life who are willing to open their minds, who are willing to see the, the hard things, because ultimately it opens up, us up to more love. And that's yeah. that's what this is all about, right? So yes, it, it opens us up to seeing more suffering, which is hard, which is painful. Yes. And it opens the door to experiencing love equally to that deeper degree when we can have that love for for all beings. Mm hmm. Right. I know you talk about compassion as the compass, mm -hmm. right? Aligning our actions with our values, with our purpose, because that that's the point, right? It's not like, oh, I have a dietary preference. It's like the dietary choices are, are a part of that larger compass. So I don't know if there's anything that you would like to say just about that larger vision. Yes, I love that. It, it, it really is. If we can let compassion be our compass for our decisions. And that compassion, you know, some of us, for me, for example, the compassion for animals, that really came first in my life. And and most of us, you know, have compassion for companion animals, right? That doesn't take work <laughs> to have that <laughs> compassion because we grow up again, it's that program, right? Yeah. And then I also have always had compassion for people in general. I have a master's degree in social work. I went down that route. The beings that I had most trouble having compassion for was actually myself. Mm. So that com compass compassion is like, okay, well, what, what kind of is already in my circle of compassion? It, does that include companion animals. May that includes the people closest to me in my life. And how can I start expanding that circle? And who can that I expand that circle to include? And as you start to expand that circle, you, ex you start to really experience this deeper, this deeper kind of spiritual sense of, of love and connection. And I, it, that's part of what we all crave in this world, right? I mean, loneliness is a pandemic in and of itself, and when we start to really feel connected, not only to the people closest to us in our lives, but but animals, and then expand that to include farmed animals, because they're no different than the cats and dogs that we will, Sweet. yeah, we'll share our homes with, we'll spend thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars getting them the surgeries they need. Yeah. And then we turn around and eat a pig not really making that connection. And there's a protective wall we put up. And I've had to put that wall up my whole life, but just being around meat eaters and living in this world before most people even knew what the word vegan was, right? Yeah. Or I would have had, I would have lost my, lost my shit, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. if I really, every time I sit down and see somebody eat meat, if I had said, you know, I had to go through the visions in my head of what that animal went through and the suffering and the death and all of that. I couldn't have been have been a part of this society. So we all have this ability to put up these walls. Now, are we brave enough? Do we have the courage 
to break down those walls so that we can really take in the love. And that's what it's all about for me. Amen. Yeah. And, and even what you were saying about like the experience of once you make the decision to like let that truth into your heart that these animals are no different than the ones that we just like want to sleep in our beds and you know just truly our our children our siblings that it's it the amount of pain that we are then faced with it can be mm-hmm. overwhelming i have one of my very best friends who's kind of played with veganism on and off and and we don't really talk about it but she had a major experience recently of seeing footage that just like awakened her and so now she's going through this whole like wait is the rest of my life gonna be this is all i think about and i'm like yes and no right. <laughs> like it's i and i was telling her that like for better and worse, we have to have some level of compartmentalizing skills in life, right? As a person in the world, because they're suffering all the time. And we should neither numb ourselves to it, be in denial of it, nor should we be flooding ourselves with it 24-7. And so it does kind of, and I know there are some, every vegan makes different choices in terms of where their lines are and you know, whether they can sit with someone who's eating a certain thing or whatever. And for me, it's like, I I don't want my world to feel small. And so like, I'm not going to work and in, walk into a barbecue joint probably, but I will eat with people who are eating whatever. And I just, you know, that that's when I put up my little temporary wall, right? Of like, <laughs> I'm just going to not really think about that. And it is a useful sort of life skill to be able to do that. And if we live our entire lives in that way, we're, we're not like living with our whole heart. Yes, exactly. That's so well said. And I think it goes for animals, but it goes for all suffering. There's so much suffering in this world, right? On humans and animals alike. And if we put our energy into focusing on the suffering, then we make ourselves miserable. And when we make ourselves miserable, who's going to want to join us in that? And, and <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you said that because just even recently, I mean, I'm always approaching the world. I approach myself in the world with curiosity and compassion. Mm. I, I say that with all my clients, this is the first thing that we're going to do, the first mantra, or declaration or affirmation or whatever you want to call it that we're going we're gonna to start using and starting our day with is I approach myself and the world with curiosity and compassion. Mm. And that just kind of is a breath of fresh air, right? And when we can do that, then we can really open our our eyes and our hearts and know that what our goal is, is to be here to spread the most love, to cause the least amount of harm that we can, and do the most good we can. And if we can keep it kind of that simple, because nobody's perfect just living in this world i mean i'm stepping on ants i'm you know like there's there's just no way the clothing i buy i mean you can go down Mm-hmm. the rabbit hole. And I don't think rabbit hole is derogatory. <laughs> yeah. Right. I always think every time some I use animal, animal in, yeah, yeah. So uh-huh. I'm like, okay, we're not killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> right. We are going to feed two birds with one scone. That's, That's right. So replacing it. But, you know, we can go down the rabbit hole be- because it's it's a part of, of living. So we've got to all know that we're all doing the best we can with the tools that we have. And the more we can become this inspiration, the more we can shine our light as brightly as possible on the world, the more it will be inviting and welcoming for other people 
to then also open their hearts more and open their minds. Yep. That's, that's what I, the, the evangelizing, right? Look yes. at all the amazing parts of this. Yes, exactly. Which you're in such a great position to do that because people often, again, we talked about how like veganism, the dietary choice is only a small fraction of this sort of ethical lifestyle. However, it, eating is a thing that we're doing many times a day. And it is something that just as a vegan, you just move through the world differently when it comes to food. And of course, some people's doorway into um, plant-based eating or veganism is through health and their goals with health and fitness and all the things. So you mentioned client work and you have an MSW, you're also a trainer. So how is it that you, what do you do in your client work? Are you mostly doing like personal training stuff or like, what does that look like in your world currently or even in the past? Yeah. So, well, it, it started, well, let's go back when I was 15. So my how at that point was I thought people just didn't know. So <laughs> of course, if I just went out and showed everybody what was happening behind the closed doors of factory farms, everybody would just go vegan immediately, just mm -hmm. like me. That's what I thought. <laughs> that didn't happen. So when I realized that a lot of people weren't ready to know that I got so much resistance mm -hmm. to the leafleting and the protesting and all of these things, I, and bless my parents' heart, by the way. <laughs> They, they were so supportive. They all followed suit, by the wow. way, eventually. Yes, my, I have a whole family of vegans now. My sister even uh, had three children with her life partner who became vegan. So she has three little kids, vegan from birth, and they're all thriving. Mm. So anyway, they would drop me off. My, my poor parents would drop me off on, on the side of the road. I would sit in cages. I was like, I'm going to demonstrate what it's like oh. to be a factory farmed animal. And, and everybody will obviously just immediately go vegan. So when I realized that that was not the case, when I graduated from college, I jumped into the fitness industry and became a personal trainer. And my new how was to be the shining example of the physique that mm -hmm. most people wanted. Well, then the resistance went away because people were like, I want to look like you. I want muscles. <laughs> I want to be lean. How do you do that? And I'd say, ah, let me show you how to do it. It's by eating plants. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that was that when people would go really strict and see it as a diet, mm. it became unsustainable. And when they didn't have a deeper why or a deeper kind of meaning behind it, it was like any other diet and 80% of people who diet stop and gain right. all the weight back and then some. So that wasn't the answer, right? And then I ended up uh, creating my brand, Sexy Fit Vegan. And then I got into the whole path of consciousness and self-coaching and mm -hmm. the whole coach world of coaching, which was fabulous. When mm -hmm. I learned to self-coach myself, I said, everybody needs to learn how to self-coach because that is something that you get to take with you for the rest of your life. When you learn how mm -hmm. to become the observer, when you learn how to take a step back, to pause, to then understand and kind of explore your own thoughts, the emotions that are behind those thoughts, and then be able to use that to take intentional actions. Mm -hmm. When we do that, then anything and everything is possible. And so that's really the foundation of my coaching. It is around the empowerment piece. It's around learning how to coach yourself into healthy habits, into a healthy lifestyle. So yes, I help people create a 
training regimen that will work best for their body. Uh, yes, I help them with nutrition, but we really learn how to eat intuitively. We don't go into the dieting. We don't do mm -hmm. calorie counting. We don't do macro tracking. We really learn to get back in touch with our bodies to understand that our bodies are so wise. They're so smart. We've just been taught to ignore what our bodies are telling us. So we really, really focus on that intuitive piece in building a healthy relationship with food, our bodies and ourselves so that we can create a lifestyle where food is a non-issue. It's, mm -hmm. it's a wonderful piece of our lives. It's something that we get to do multiple times a day, but it doesn't need to be stressful. So I, I struggled myself with disordered eating for a long time. So a lot of the people I work with also have struggled with an unhealthy relationship with food and their bodies. And, and I help them overcome that, which is really, really so rewarding. I, yes. I absolutely love it. Absolutely. And I, I also have an eating disorder history. And I think that it, it allows me to be sort of a, a powerful voice of reason, even on the rare occasions where I have had clients come into therapy who are like, I'm vegetarian or I'm vegan. And like, this is, you know, and I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. Like, let's look at, is this for the right reasons right now? Because if it is, I will 100% support you in figuring out what recovery looks like for you without having to compromise your ethics. And even though, of course, I'm biased and, you know, I would love for you to continue to not eat animals. If that's not where you're at in your journey right now, and you're not really doing that for quote unquote, the right reasons, then we're going to talk about like, maybe we put that on the shelf and maybe we kind of open up the world of food and permission. And then we can talk about, is that something that from an ethics or values, you know, principle or perspective feels aligned for you? And if so, how can we do it in a way that's not rigid, that allows for what in intuitive eating they call play food? Well, we don't need to call it junk, right? We, it's play food and we can't have play food 24 seven, but we can allow it, right? And that's the the whole food plant-based world is just as guilty as the rest of the diet world at being overly rigid and moralizing about food. So I'm always out here waving the anti-diet vegan flag of like, it is possible for us to have flexibility, to be healthful in whatever that means for us, to feel vital and to enjoy food so much because I'm such a foodie. So I love hearing about how you work with clients. And I would love to know too, like, it sounds like you've sort of been like a picture of health, physically speaking, for most or all of your life, really. And, you know, of course, eating in a certain way and moving in a certain way really supports you in that. And as we know, like food isn't a cure-all. Even if we eat, quote, all the right things, it's not a cure-all for mental health. And there's other things we have to do. And you talked about learning how to work with your thoughts and feelings and all of that. And I know you've also had therapy and all the things. So I would love to know what some of the most impactful things have been on your journey with healing your mental health. Mm, yes. Yeah, that's been such a, an amazing journey for me. And, you know, I, I look back and yes, I've had therapy. I was diagnosed with depression when I was 16 years old and I uh, have struggled with anxiety, disordered eating, all, all the things, you know, and really coming to this place of understanding that the compassion I was lacking was the compassion for myself. 
that understanding, that realization, and, and it was so obvious. Now, some of the things, you know, these clues that can disguise themselves, right, as healthy things. My Muay Thai addiction, I realized I wouldn't call it addiction. I, I love Muay Thai. That is something that I value that has helped me a lot in my life. I also, when I first started that, I was 22 years old, going through a really hard breakup from my fiance. A Muay Thai uh, MMA trainer took me under his wing and started training me. And he did not believe in sparring gear in terms of shin guards, headgear, nothing like that. I was new to it. I didn't even know that that stuff existed. And I would get the crap beat out of me. And I loved it. So I'm not I'm mm. not bashing it, but I was black, literally black and blue over my whole entire body for years before I realized that some people actually use shin guards to protect themselves. And I was young, my I was strong, and and I loved the the feeling of the being intensity. able to take it. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. oh, and it it made me feel great. That said, it was kind of this metaphor of I beat myself up. I was beating myself up. I was a perfectionist. I was, you know, so hard on myself. I was so strict on the food that I would get to the binging phase and it would be something that, you know, I would do, I would do in private and hide from everyone and every, I, I hid it from everybody for many, many years. And when it got to that place where I realized that it was time to let myself have love in my life for myself. And I had to go through that, that just exploration of what that meant and really get curious, really become the observer and, and get curious. And that's the path I took. And I, I did that. A lot of that was on my own. I would listen to all sorts of different coaches and podcasts and, and run stairs and, and, and really have these discoveries. And that's after creating my brand, I really just focused on on myself for quite quite some time. I didn't date for a little while and really focused on myself and getting healthy and and building this new relationship with myself. Hmm. Uh, and then when I started my coaching programs, I thought it was, you know, people would only want to know about the nutrition and the food. And when I got clients in, I realized that no, that was the food and the nutrition and the and the exercise. That's the easy part. Mm. It's the the relationship with ourself. And I knew I was certainly far from alone in beating myself up and the negative self talk and being so hard on myself. And that that was the place that these this disordered eating came from for a lot of people, right? And it was this need to control and this this self punishment and this self sabotage and these cycles of being so hard and strict until your willpower runs out and we're human our willpower is always going to run out so if we're relying on willpower we will always fail okay. although there is no failure only feedback you know <laughs> all the good coaches know that so yeah it was this it was this kind of just slow grind of of discovery and one day to the next of figuring out what i needed to mm -hmm. to show myself love and compassion and knowing that that's where when you can come from that place you look at food differently you look at yourself differently. You look at exercise differently when you're not doing it as a punishment or to burn off the calories you feel guilty about when you can find the joy in these things. Mm -hmm. And when you when you eat from a place of love, then you are eating the healthy whole foods. You're not going to intake the suffering. You're not going to overeat. That's not eating out of love for yourself, mm -hmm. right? Even these food we call 
junk food or we call them treats, you know, are they really treats? Because how do we feel after? They might feel good for a few minutes going in, but we usually our bodies don't, don't feel good after. They don't feel good for the long term. They're not helping us be in line with our goals and having a strong, healthy, active body for, for the rest of our lives. So just kind of seeing things differently from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, so much of the the food piece also is like, what are the building blocks of this food? Like a friend talked with me about how it's like, that was how he looked at when he went vegan. And it's similar to, I think how I looked at it is like, oh, it's not that I won't have queso or pizza. It's that I may, I have queso and pizza made with different building blocks. And even when I'm having play foods like that, if they're made with real food that is put together creatively, it, my body feels better than if mm-hmm. I'm eating, you know, truly Oreos, even though Oreos are accidentally vegan, right? Like right. my body appreciates the, the, the food that's made with, you know, kind of real, more naturally derived ingredients. So it's not that we can't have those treats. It's just look at the building blocks and what your body effectively metabolizes, not even from like a burn standpoint, but just like, what does your body recognize as food, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you and we can make these things. It just takes a little more and it's a process of exploring and mm-hmm. seeing it as an adventure and seeing it as a process. And the the goal is not perfection, it's progress. Yeah. And and it can be fun. Yeah. Well, it's it's wonderful just hearing and like inspiring to hear about your journey of really doing that deep work with yourself over, you know, the span of years of just completely shifting your relationship to yourself and how that is so foundational because I, I want to talk next about your your journey with plant medicine. And I do absolutely believe that it is such a powerful ally for sort of holistic well-being and including mental health. I see how powerful it can be. And when people look at it as a sort of a shortcut of like, oh, I just want to do this and like not really have to do that work. Like, "Mm, you're probably not going to have the best results then. So you had put in a lot of work and continue to maintain that. And then you brought in plant medicine as an ally. Correct. Yes. A couple of years ago, I, and I, I never thought my, I never thought about doing ayahuasca before. It never appealed to me. All I had heard about was, you know, how sick you get. And, <laughs> and I was like, eh, I don't think I really need to throw up for 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm all good. And then I, I hit burnout and, mm. and it called me. Mm. It literally called me. And it was something I said, I need to go to Peru and do ayahuasca, and I need to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And I had heard uh, Gabor Mate mm-hmm. talk about this place called the Temple of the Way of Light. And, and you know, if Gabor Mate talked talk highly about <laughs> a spot, I was like, and if they kicked him out, I, he told the story of going down to be a facilitator mm-hmm. at this uh, retreat center called the Temple of the Way of Light. And that in ceremony, he got kicked out as a facilitator by the shaman and they told him he had too much dark energy to be helpful and that he needed his own healing still. Mm. And he thought he was 
pretty good on the healing front, but they said no. And so they worked with him and he talks about his experience. So I said, well, if God, if it's, if, if it's a place for Gabor Mate, then I, I think that's the place I need to go. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I traveled, I, I, prepared for a month in advance you there's they give you all the dieta you get rid of spicy foods you get rid of salt and oil and you really kind of get rid of all the exciting things in your life uh, and I, I took time off for the first time and I don't know how long from yeah. social media I got off social media I got off email I got off pretty much everything and traveled by myself to Lima, then Iquitos, and then we went by boat and then by foot into the the jungles, the Amazon jungle. And I was there for 12 12 days, six ceremonies over 11 nights with five indigenous shaman, a group of 20. And it turned out the, the session I had signed up for had originally been set for therapists and social workers and counselors. So most of the 20 people there were in that those industries. So it was a really great, great group. Mm-hmm. Everybody was very willing to, <laughs> to talk about their experiences. And they just had an incredible program that was so well designed with phenomenal facilitators. And that's what I recommend for people looking to feeling called to do this is it's just so important to find the right the right place with the right people and this place i i highly recommend so yeah it was intense i mean i was very ill for every single ceremony it was it was not fun <laughs> when they say you're not yep. going to get addicted to ayahuasca you're not going to get addicted to ayahuasca it was not a fun time but uh-huh. it was a powerful time yeah i i think the most powerful moment in that in that experience was one night and the shaman will go around you're in the maloka all 20 you have your bed you got your throw up bin and there's <laughs> there's people to help you to the bathroom if you need i had i had explosive diarrhea for like seven hours straight oh one God. of the nights yeah and they call it the egyptian when you're vomiting and have diarrhea at the same time <laughs> you know because like that <laughs> really not selling it ella <laughs> <laughs> no no this is the thing it's not you gotta it be not ready for everybody. it you gotta be yeah i want yeah. you to be ready not yeah. everyone had that experience but i mean people you're sick but they, the shaman come around and they sing what are called ikros to you mm-hmm. and it activates the medicine. And when one of the women was singing her ikros to me, my intention for that day was to understand why I was self-destructive as a teenager. I had two very loving parents. Yes, they got divorced. Yes, I had some you know tough times in my childhood. But all in all, I had two very loving parents mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand and I said, maybe I don't need to know, but I, I'm curious. Why Why mm. was I self-destructive as a teenager? And I became my mother. I it, it just came over me like this wave. And I knew, and I don't know how I knew, but I knew I was my mother. And I started experiencing her trauma in her childhood. And she had a very traumatic childhood. And I wept. That was my purging for that ceremony was this weeping. Like I had never wept before in my life for an hour, two hours, just purging these emotions that I did not know that I was carrying. Wow. And I was carrying my mother's trauma. So that's just one example. There was a million other examples that happened over those six nights. But Mm -hmm. that one really, really stuck with me. 
because it was extremely powerful, extremely powerful. And then they are there to help integrate those emotions. And, but yeah, you come back home and, and you've got to be prepared to continue the work, Mm. right? Because you put yourself back in your same old scenario, surrounded by the same people who haven't made any shifts. And so there's a lot of work to be done to integrate and to hang on to the shifts that you're able to make during plant ceremonies. Yeah, plant ceremonies. Yeah. Wow. That's such a powerful example of like, we know that intergenerational trauma is a thing. We know that even in terms of all the epigenetic stuff, right? But it's like, because it can very much still happen, even when we're not consciously aware that it's happening. Like this is not a scenario where it sounds like your mom very, you know, much put her trauma onto you or that you were in, in this unstable environment. It was like, no, it was purely the fact that like that, you know, was passed on through you in your body and that you were carrying that unconsciously, but that it was able to come through and able to be released anyway. Exactly. And I, I think that's one of the most powerful parts of plant medicine that is really hard to get from other types of coaching or or therapy or med- even meditation, really, to have this the spirit of this plant mm. that's so wise, that gives you what you need. Every ceremony was so different. Each mm. night you set your intention and it manifested in very different ways each night. And it, it didn't matter you know, how much of the, the ayahuasca I took, it didn't seem to matter. It was just every night she had something different in store for me in a very mm-hmm. different way. It was magical and really tough at the same time. So yes, be ready. If this is something that you're interested in, be ready. It's, it's not for everyone. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of one of the things that you shared with me before this conversation of just part of your ethos that that the goal is not to feel better, it's to get better at feeling, right? So this is like an, a highly unpleasant experience that you right. volunteered yourself for with the intention of more deeply knowing yourself, expressing and and just becoming more fully yourself in the world. Oh, exactly. And and that was one of the books they had us read before we went down. It's called The Presence Process by Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things he really instilled in that book is the goal is not to feel better, it's to get better at feeling. And that helped me so much when I got back from that trip, because two weeks later, my beloved cat fell off the balcony and oh my God. and died in, in my arms. And I and and I experienced that and dealt with that in a whole different way than I would have before that trip. Wow, such a such a necessary experience then in the sort of timeline of your life to have to go through something like that is hard enough, but then to move through it and, you know, maybe an unskillful way of just like self punishing endlessly, like that's not going to help anyone, right? Right? Yeah. And I, I just, I let myself feel it. And I just cried and cried for a couple months. I mean, it was very traumatic, very traumatic experience, but, but I had these new tools and this new, and my heart was so open because you get back from a trip like that. And, and my heart was so open, even Mm -hmm. it's already open, but it was really wide open. So that was, that was a tough one. 
So I, that's a, a good segue into the last kind of thing I wanted to talk with you about, which is like, you've done all this work on yourself. I mean, you had already built up such uh, an impressive career, not to mention all your animal sanctuary stuff, which I just kidding might be two more things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> but you've done all this then personal work to heal from burnout and all of this. And now in this, you know, ayahuasca experience, so your heart is wide open, you're so integrated and whole as a human. And then like, this person comes along and i loved the podcast that you <laughs> did with your partner you guys actually read the initial messages that you exchanged back and forth yeah. it made me curious to to see like hmm, i wonder if okay cupid still has my messages from 2012 with my husband <laughs> i'm not sure but but it was just like oh my i was just smiling ear to ear listening to that exchange and then hearing the two of you talk about how how this really beautiful mature and exciting relationship has blossomed just in the past few months so yeah. i mean for people who are out there going like oh my god dating sucks and especially if there's any vegans listening like we know it's like 10 thousand times harder mm -hmm. to find someone who also shares those values but i'm like it does happen they are out there so spread the hope for the people or any advice that you have for them in the sure, dating front. sure i really hadn't dated in in several years leading up to uh, July. It was July. I was uh, coming back. So there's, there is a vegan dating app. It's called, should I say the name? I don't yeah, know. sure. Uh, it's called Vegly. In general, I'm, I don't want to talk shit, but in general, <laughs> there was like the same, you know, for <laughs> E, they either looked like serial killers or, or like they hadn't bathed in a couple months. So that, you know, Part of me had very little hope on, mm -hmm. on the vegan dating app thing. But I said, you know what, when I when I travel, I will turn it on because honestly, you know, I work from my computer. What's time yeah. or what's space? What mm -hmm. what's location? I'll I'll search the world if, mm -hmm. if it means finding true love. So I uh, was coming back from speaking at the Organic Produce Summit in Monterey, California, coming back through D Dallas, Fort Worth, and turned it on. And this really handsome kind of cowboy-esque man popped up named Quinn and I liked him and I sent him a little message. And when I got back to Miami, he had messaged back and we started chatting on this app. And within two weeks, he was coming to Miami. We had a, you know, a, few, a video chat call and, and yeah, I have met my, my life partner. I believe oh. he's just the most, I, he's, he's my rock. He is vegan for about a year now. He got on the spiritual path and the yoga path about four years ago. He got sober four years ago. He works in the music industry and he is the most loving. Yeah, he's he's just a, an amazing human being. Yeah. And I, yeah, I kind of, you know, think thoughts would come into my head all the time for the last few years, you know, how I'm, I'm looking for a needle in a haystack here. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for a vegan, spiritual man who's strong and masculine yet compassionate and loving. And, you know, I, I had a whole list of what I wanted in a partner and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, <laughs> is, this, is this man really going to exist? And every time I would say that, I would put it to the side and said, well, if there's a needle in the haystack, there's a needle in mm. the haystack. And if I can just focus on me and put myself out there and not try too hard, but but be open and 
and do my thing, then I got to just have trust. And that's been my new word uh, the last six months. When I feel anxious, when I feel worried, I remind myself to trust. And when I say the word trust, I take a deep breath and I just accept what is and allow. And uh, so he came along. So yes, there is hope. We are headed to Guatemala in a week for a week-long trip, hiking the volcanoes, doing yoga. I might get certified this year in yoga. And and yeah, he's been on my podcast and we're looking at doing all sorts of fun things together. Oh, that's so cool. And what I think is is really neat about it is just like that you you went into this a whole person, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm looking for my partner to complete me. I mean, we can enjoy like a very full life as a, a single person, especially like with our animals and friends and family and all of that. And it is also okay to be like, hey, if I could have this type of partner, I would love that, right? Yes. So it's like you kept your heart open even with like knowing it was a needle in a haystack situation and being willing to like be proactive about it like you were like okay here i am in a new city just gonna turn it on and see and like this wouldn't have happened if you hadn't i mean it maybe it would have eventually but like you your proactiveness and your openness to it is what eventually made this happen yeah exactly i think you hit the nail on the head we've got to figure out how to be whole ourselves and then we find that person, it's like one plus one equals three. Mm -hmm. Icing on the cake. That's right. Very That's cool. Okay. Right. So the last thing I want to ask you about is Hogs and Kisses Farm Sanctuary. So you are on the board for this sanctuary. Tell us where it is, what kind of animals they have. And just <laughs> for anybody who's not familiar with a farm sanctuary, what that really is. Yeah, there's it's we're a micro sanctuary, so it's a, a small operation, but we give a forever home to rescued farm animals who have been neglected or abused, which are a lot of farmed animals, right? And the first three pigs, so it was my best friend who used to live in Miami. She moved up to Virginia. We're right outside of Charlottesville, Virginia, on a beautiful piece of land right by the Appalachian Mountains. We've got a, a B and B there on the property. There's a lot of wineries. People love to go up there to do other things. And, and stay right on the sanctuary. So that's, we should, well, if you go to the website, you can mm -hmm. find a link for that. And yeah, our first three rescued farm pigs came from a, a farm in New York. And the farmer's wife, it was a small family farm, and the farmer's wife fell in love with the pigs and could not bear to mm -hmm. send them to slaughter. And there were 11 pigs left. And we, we got the three sisters. We went in there and picked them up and started our sanctuary. We've got pigs we've got bunnies and we are now we just fundraised over thanksgiving because we are preparing to welcome turkeys and i just love turkeys <laughs> and i went to visit another sanctuary and volunteer while i was in austin last and called rowdy girl and got myself a turkey hug turkeys are incredible beings so we've got we've got a growing family there and they get to live out their their lives treated as if they are pets they're not pets they're residents on our but we call yes, them our family and their companions yeah, yeah whatever we want to call them they're amazing each one of them has a fabulous story and and it's a wonderful place to visit and we appreciate all our volunteers and uh, donations that make it possible everything's run on on donations 
it's so incredible. I'm just, yeah, so inspired by anyone who's doing that work on the front lines of, of rescuing animals because each one, each life does matter. And if we're able to provide a good quality life and love for these beings, like we should do it, even if it feels like a drop in the ocean of all the animal suffering, like these individual lives do matter. They do, and they get to act as ambassadors, and it's it's really helping people make that connection. It's helping each one of those represent the thousands, the millions, the trillions of animals that are are suffering really needlessly. Yeah. So if anybody listening who's like totally not in the vegan world and like, oh, this has been a lot, but you know, farm sanctuaries are a wonderful place to visit instead of a zoo, for instance, like we, you know, I want people to have that direct experience and develop that connection with animals. But we can do that at farm sanctuaries where they are truly living the lives they are intended to live instead of in a zoo. Yes. And you can meet Rubia who will in a heartbeat, go lay right down on her side <laughs> and open up because she wants a belly rub. They are all about the belly rubs. I love it. Oh my gosh, this has been incredible. I just feel like you're such a, a kindred spirit and I can't wait to continue following all the things that you're doing and listening to your incredible podcast, Rise and Thrive. It will be in the show notes, of course, but tell people how they can work with you, what you have going on and anything else you want to share with us. Yes. If you check out my website, ellamajors.com, that's E-L-L-A-M-A-G-E-R-S.com. You can see kind of what I've got going on. I've got a great introductory program. I do run group coaching programs throughout the year and take on a few individual clients as well throughout the year, but I've got a great, very accessible program called 22 Reboot, 22reboot.com. And it's a 22-day total transformation system. You get to go through and start disrupting those harmful patterns and adopting a newer, healthier lifestyle with tons of resources on moving towards a plant-based uh, way of life and uh, getting better sleep and the whole mindfulness piece. We didn't even get to talk about mindful yes. eating, which is huge, but you'll learn all about that in 22 Reboot. It's been transformational for, for hundreds of people. So I invite you all to do that for 2024. It's a great jump start. And I said, as I said, really, really accessible. So 22reboot.com, invite you to take advantage of that program. Check out my Rise and Thrive podcast. It's very inspirational. It's for the vegan curious as well as the curious vegan. And we've got some of the top doctors and directors of documentaries and just uh, some of the world's leading experts and inspirational humans that I feel so fortunate to be able to connect with on that podcast and share with you all. Incredible. Well, thank you for all the work that you're doing in the world, inspiring the humans and loving all the animals. My pleasure, Valerie. Thank you for doing what you do, for being a force. I love it. And for introducing veganism and plant-based eating to your audience. Hell yeah, friend, you made it to the end. I so appreciate you tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode, make my day by subscribing and leaving a five-star rating to help other people find this podcast. You can follow my antics on TikTok at badbitchtherapist and on Instagram at the same with dots between the words. Also make sure to sign up for my weekly tough love notes where I bring even more vulnerability and strategies to plug into your day-to-day. Look for that at badbitchtherapist.co. Thanks so much for being here. Now go out there and slay the hell out of this week.